everyone, and thank you to all of our listeners for your support. Morgan and I are thrilled to be able to share these interviews with all of you and your likes and follows and supportive comments on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook really help keep us going. If you are enjoying this series, you can also help us by giving us a five-star review wherever you are listening. I do need to thank someone who I don't know that I've actually thanked on our podcast, but uh, my husband, Ken Myers, has been integral in helping me get these podcasts put together for your viewing and listening. And if it weren't for him, I certainly wouldn't be able to get these out in a very timely fashion. So thank you to Ken for helping me produce these episodes. And thank you to all of the people who have sponsored us. If you are interested in sponsoring future episodes, just send us an email at lifebetweenthenotes at gmail.com. Our sponsor for Jan's episode is the Reading Musical Foundation. The Reading Musical Foundation has advanced and advocated for music education and appreciation in Berks County since 1926. Signature programs of the foundation include RMS Scholarship Program, which provides over $200,000 in annual scholarships to Berks County music students, Operation Replay, an instrument recycling program that provides used instruments with deserving student musicians, as well as an annual grant program that provides more than $300,000 for music-related projects in the greater Reading community. You can learn more about RMF at their website, ReadingMusicalFoundation.org, or by finding them on Facebook and Instagram at Reading Musical Foundation. You're going to hear Jan mention many names of musicians and organizations in the Reading area that were integral in the development of music programs in the area. And it is amazing to listen to how many organizations grew into what they are today. And now, please enjoy Jan's life between the notes. Welcome everyone to Life Between the Notes, where we're going beyond the bio and bringing you interviews of your favorite South Central Pennsylvania musicians. I'm Kirsten Myers, a local oboist living in the Lancaster area. And with me again is Morgan Davis, a local flutist also in the Lancaster area. So hi, Morgan. Hello. <laughs> and I know right now it's actually like one o'clock in the afternoon, but are you are you still drinking your coffee? No, actually I was regretting that I didn't refill my mug, but I have I've I have a glass of water. So I feel oh, there like you go. that's like a more responsible decision at one in the afternoon. But <laughs> I I may still have a cup of coffee after this. <laughs> well I'm being irresponsible and I'm on my third. So that's what it would be my third. So you know maybe for the sake of this interview it's better that I haven't had it. Yeah there you go. <laughs> So uh, Morgan and I started Life Between the Notes in May of 2022, and it's been just fascinating talking to our colleagues about their lives and how they became musicians and how they made their careers out of music and, and how they deal with all sorts of issues that come up, whether it's like physical injuries, anxiety, um, growing families, loss of family, but it's Really, it's been such an honor to, to do it. And um, we are glad that you are here and listening. Mm -hmm. 
So today on our 17th episode, uh, we are so honored to have the amazing cellist and educator Jan Dixon join us. Um, and, and we can't believe that we made it to 17, <laughs> which is pretty cool. But um, so before uh, we talk to Jan, uh, here's a little more about her. Is um, Jennifer Rents Dixon is a native of Reading, Pennsylvania. As a junior at Reading High School, she was honored to perform a cello solo with the Reading Symphony as a youth audition winner. She received a Bachelor of Music Education degree with honors from Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana. She received her Master of Music degree from Westchester University. She has been the orchestra director and string teacher at Norristown Area School District, Exeter Township School District, and Governor Mifflin School District, from which she retired in June 2010. While at Governor Mifflin, she conducted the Governor Mifflin Senior High School Orchestra in a concert at the PMEA State Convention. From 2011 to 2020, she was the director for the Orchestra Zone Program of the Reading Symphony and the assistant conductor of the Reading Symphony Youth Orchestra. She was a member of the cello section of the Reading Symphony, retiring in 2020 after 48 years. She is presently a member of the Reading Pops and Burke Sinfonietta. She has been a soloist with the Ambler Symphony and the cellist for the Reading Quartet. She frequently performs throughout southeastern Pennsylvania with numerous ensembles. Presently, she has a private studio with 15 students. Former students include music teachers in eight Berks County school districts, in addition to other districts outside the county. Many other students have gone into careers as performing musicians. She has three children, Aaron, a lawyer and equity partner at Alston and Bird in Atlanta, Georgia, Daniel, a science teacher at Northeast Middle School in Reading, and Jessica, an executive director at JP Morgan in Chicago, Illinois. So, Jan, uh, what an amazing career. <laughs> I, I was floored when I read your bio the first time. Um, and, and you and I don't know each other super well, but I mean, we played in Berks and Finietta together and, and you subbed in my trio, Trio Jolie, a number of times um, with Robin Lillarose and, and Crystal Jordan. And um, probably the first time that you did sub with us it was when I learned that you were Crystal's teacher. Yeah. And I just thought that was the coolest thing <laughs> that, um, that, you know, so somebody certainly, you know, from your studio who is of such like high quality, like Crystal, who is a, an amazing musician uh, in her own right. Um, and how proud you must be, um, certainly to have all of these students and certainly one like her out there doing, and then you were coming in to actually sub for one of your students. <laughs> You're always so happy when your students do well, always. And yeah, I would say that's what I'm proudest of, the way my students ha have done. And so many of them, not only in music, but in whatever else they've chosen to do in life. It's, mm -hmm. it's been wonderful to see. Yeah. I mean, and in some ways they kind of become like your kids, right? In a way. Yes, yes. <laughs> absolutely. Maybe a little stressful, less stress, or maybe less stressful. I don't know. I don't know. It's a different kind of stress. <laughs> 
but still joyful, right? Oh, definitely, definitely, yes. So, um, so we usually start talking to people about, you know, how they started playing their instrument and when. So, um, when did you start playing the cello? I started cello in fifth grade as a student in the Reading School District, and I just started with school lessons. Mm -hmm. um, the the most interesting thing, though, is I started playing piano when I was four. Okay. Piano, and I had my first piano recital before I went to kindergarten. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I That's think impressive. that that came apart uh, about. I always thought when I was that age, I, my mother had me in dance class before that. Mm -hmm. And I remember we were skipping in dance class and I was probably three and I couldn't skip. And then before I knew it, I wasn't going to dance class anymore. And my mother had put me in piano lessons. So <laughs> I think I failed at dance. <laughs> and the well, piano went better. You just rerouted. Yeah, I just knew that. <laughs> Aw, well, that's, oh, that's, that's good. So, um, did your mom play piano? No. She, both my mother and father played an instrument in high school, but they really didn't anymore. My mom played the drums mm -hmm. and my dad played the violin. Mm -hmm. My mom's dad, who died before my parents even met, he worked at Luden's Candy Factory, but weekends, he was a musician. And the one thing I remember her telling me about him was he would play the piano for silent movies. Oh. Which I thought was really cool. In fact, sort of, I don't know if you can see it, but behind me is my grandfather's piano that has been passed down. And that's still my piano. It's a really good one. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. How cool is that? Yeah, it so was really cool. And I always wished I could have met him, but yeah so was that in the the reading area with yes. the was yeah. it so what um made you choose the cello was there any reason or <laughs> yeah this is a cool story too so i was always that kid in school who was really good and would never do anything wrong so i was in music class this must have been a few weeks before we could choose instruments or a few months maybe and the music teacher gave me a soda bottle and this is with, with apologies to Morgan right now. <laughs> and she, and she said, this is going. <laughs> I was supposed to blow on this soda bottle while the rest of the class was singing to make, you know, the note that you get when you blow over a soda bottle. So I said, okay. And so I'm blowing and blowing and I'm thinking, I don't feel so good. Oh no. <laughs> I, I don't know if I can keep going, but I'm not going to stop because my teacher told me to do this, you know, <laughs> so I made it through the song. And at that point, I thought, well, I'm not playing anything you have to blow into. Right, right. <laughs> I well, at, least, at least you didn't pass out. I was waiting for uh, the hyperventilating. That's, like, that's what I was waiting for. I often have I, know, I thought it was just pure will that I was doing <laughs> <laughs> I have to watch my beginners, you know, because it's like they get this, like, I have to do it. And then they'll start to look a little funny, you know, and it's like, take a break. And they're like, no, I can do No, like, put the flute down. <laughs> and, you know, every once in a while, one of them will put it down and say, 
don't know, I feel like I'm seeing things. <laughs> mm-hmm. so, oh, yeah. Related. I mean, <laughs> it did kind of continue in that vein, because, of course, when you're in college for music ed, yes. you have some familiarity with all the instruments. And of all the instruments, flute was my worst. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's. I, I'm not so good at that. I often feel like the flute is the one that's like, oh, it was so hard. <laughs> it is. It is. I don't know. It's something with the embouchure for me. Like I don't well, know. The exact opposite of oh, you know, like I and I don't know if I've ever told you this story, Kirsten, but like when I was in school and I had dropped my ed degree, then I was everybody's go-to to teach for their videos that they had to make of them teaching this instrument they just learned. So my, one of my really good friends taught me a 20 minute oboe lesson that was recorded and he turned the camera off. And I was like, this is the worst thing I have ever done. <laughs> it just, and I mean that in the nicest way possible, but it's so opposite the flute. It was it miserable. I was miserable. And then I complained about it for like 30 minutes afterwards. <laughs> Wow, well, I'm so glad we're able to still be friends. I, <laughs> no, I, I love oboe players. I just don't need to be one. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and yeah, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, and I was going to say, like, there was actually, like, it was, like, maybe two months ago where I actually had to catch one of my students who had been standing and playing, yeah. and she was about to go down. Oh, my gosh. There was a chair next to her, and, and it was just, like, and amazingly, like, I, like, kind of, like, guided her to the chair, but she held on to that oboe the entire time. <laughs> and I was, like, I was just waiting for that to go, too, but she... But oof, yeah, anyway, yeah. Um, not that it's dangerous, folks, to play the oboe. <laughs> or the <fun. laughs> Anyway, back to Jan. So, <laughs> um, so I imagine um, were, you were probably pretty good with practicing. I No, no, no. But still, I didn't, I chose the cello because the violin looked uncomfortable to go like this. And you could sit down while playing the cello, which means you're never going to pass out because you're already sitting. So (laughs) it was very logical, my reasoning. Mm -hmm. In fifth and sixth grade, I just took lessons at school. And the Reading School District, I think maybe they charge for this now, but then they just give you an instrument. Mm. Didn't matter. Whatever you wanted to play, they just gave you an instrument. So... The cello wasn't that important, especially then, you know, basically it was the piano that my parents were focusing on and no, I hated to practice. So I hope their kids listening to this one. My parents paid me to do it. Did they really? (laughs) Man, I miss out. (laughs) I know, I know. I was definitely born into the wrong family. Uh, I, well, I was always like, I like to practice because I was an only child and I would get bored and it was like, oh, I'll go play my instrument. But I feel like I missed an opportunity here. Yeah, yeah. And it was, oh, so this really dates me. So if I practiced in half an hour, five days a week, you know, on piano, I could make 50 cents. And if I did half an hour, five days a week on cello, I could make 50 more cents. So that was a dollar. Considering at that point, I remember school lunches were 35 cents. Yeah. That was that was a good chunk of change. And right. I 
And just to make sure, I would set the timer before I started because I was not going to practice 31 minutes. That was not our <laughs> idea. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. So, and were you, you were still doing piano and cello like throughout the, like, like through high school? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I can't say that I enjoyed practicing or that I still do. No. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I really think it's, I didn't even know that there were people that enjoyed practicing, I think, until I got to Indiana. <laughs> I just thought everybody hated it like I did. Right, right. Well, and I would say like a majority, probably people don't, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but there are those. Yes, there are. I think probably like more, more than we realize. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, just basing it on the percentage of my students who I think dislike practicing. Were you, did you take private lessons um, at any point? I mean, you did at some point, I imagine. Yeah, I, I started private lessons in seventh grade with um, G. Robert Redkay, who used to play in the symphony ages ago. And I, I, my parents picked him. I really don't know why, but he'd come to my house and give me private cello lessons. So then in eighth grade, um, I decided to audition for district orchestra. And my dad, who wanted to... Um, motivate me you know to practice and get ready for this said you know because I'm still have my my school instrument goes you keep it you can have that instrument till you graduate at Reading the way it used to be it was wonderful for the kids. so he motivated me by saying if you make first year in district orchestra I'll buy you a cello so I'm like you know okay not on a safe bet, we're good, but she'll practice. So I practiced and practiced. Mm -hmm. And I made district and I was fourth. And then if you know about district orchestra, you have to take a re-audition when you get there. Right. So I took the re-audition and I got first <laughs> in eighth grade. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So that year, and this was the first time I ever really played in an orchestra other than my junior high. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I, I get there and I'm not knowing anything what to expect. And I don't know if you'll know the name, but the conductor was Vaclav Nellybel. She wrote a lot of band yeah. stuff. You know who he is, yeah. So he was the typical Eastern European of those years where he'd scream and yell and at everybody. And I would sit there and cry and play all at once. And oh no! And he would yell at me, and at the, you know. And then if the orchestra would have a break, he'd grab a cigarette, and then he'd come over and he'd put his arm around me. He said, "You do a good job," you know. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, really? It was a roller coaster of, of <laughs> we'd go back up on stage, and he'd yell, and I'd cry. <laughs> And think, and when I came home at night, my parents were the nicest that I think they ever had been to me. Oh, um, really? Yeah, they just would you know, take care of me, you know, and they knew I was upset. Yeah. I, I think there was some throwing up involved when I got oh. home. You know, it's amazing that I ever went back, but then right. I, I made first that year in district and I thought, oh boy, there's only one way to go, but 
from ninth grade on at each audition, the original and the next audition I made first all the way through my senior year. Wow. Yes. yes. <laughs> That's amazing. amazing. Yeah. So, so now my dad's on the spot. He owes me a cello. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. So we go down to Philadelphia and we're all looking at all these shops and I'm looking at these, oh, this is really cool. I like this one. My dad's looking at the price tags. Uh-huh. <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> so, you know, so we came back from Philadelphia and my dad had no idea, I think, what cellos cost. So he says to me, when I was a little boy, there was a man who played cello in our Sunday school orchestra. Um, but now he isn't alive anymore. But I think his widow lives in Reading and maybe she still has the cello. So he looked her up. We went to her house. And I remember we didn't even go in. We stood on the porch. And my dad said to her, do you still have your husband's cello? She says, yeah, you know, old Pennsylvania Dutch. I think I have it in the attic. And my dad goes, well, how much do you want for it? And she said, $60. And my dad said, sold. (laughs) That is my cello that I still have. All these years later, that is my cello. My dad paid $60 for my cello. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. And I, you know, and people will say, oh, you have such a wonderful instrument. And I'm like, well. You probably have sixty dollars. You could get one too. <laughs> my God, wow. that's incredible! Yeah, it that was. blows my mind. Yeah, because yeah. you know the flutes, the flutes that come out of people's attics do not last like that. <laughs> yeah, it's still here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, still use wow, that's amazing. So. <laughs> So then at one point, did you decide that you wanted it to be your career, that you were going, that you would make it your life? I'm thinking maybe around ninth grade. Okay. So yeah. it's pretty early on. It was pretty early. I know with my own children, they really didn't have an idea when they started in college and sort of it refined as they went through it, refined their ideas of what they would want to do. But yeah. I just knew from then and it never wavered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, which is so nice. <laughs> I know, I yeah. know. I felt bad for them, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I imagine, yeah, I mean, making first chair in eighth grade, that I'm, <laughs> that probably like pretty early on kind of inspires you to, you know, mm-hmm. keep going and, and do better and that kind of yeah. thing. So, and too, of course, I'm playing piano and cello. Um, Mm -hmm. and I had a wonderful piano teacher, Elizabeth Hain. I don't, uh, she and her sister, she never married. She and her sister lived in Wine Missing Hills. They owned with her brother, a lot of the waterfront property where the, the dock was in Brooklyn Mm -hmm. and they were millionaires and she just spent all her money on her students. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, there was a lot of you know you need to practice Miss Hain will be so disappointed and I know how much she did for me we never bought our own music with Miss Hain she bought everything for us mm-hmm. so in 10th grade I auditioned on piano the Haydn, cello con- uh, Haydn piano concerto to play with the symphony and I thought I did a great job 
I didn't win. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the next year I auditioned on cello and that year I won. And that was probably when, yeah, I'm a cellist. I'm not a pianist. Mm -hmm. so yeah. Yeah. That's really right. when, you know, and, and I still played. And that mm -hmm. kind of goes maybe to my next thing with Indiana. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Go ahead. I, we looked, you know, as people do, we looked at a couple of colleges. Okay. Yeah. That's nice. That's nice. When we drove onto the campus of Indiana, I said, this is where I'm going, you know? And again, none of my children had that, you mm -hmm. know, but this is the only place I'm going. And I thought, Maybe I won't get into the music school. So I thought, okay, I'll major in history. I don't care. This is where I'm going because I loved it so much when I got there. So I, I did get in and I'm thinking, okay, here comes a history major, but I still had to take my audition. Okay, so we drove out and, you know, I played in this, this was funny too. I played in this teacher studio who's probably about maybe as, as big, you know, as, a large bedroom or a living room, no bigger than that, with all these people crowded in there, all smoking cigarettes while I was playing. I could, it was good because I couldn't see them. So I played through it and it went fine. So I'm yeah. like, okay, it went okay. You know, I did okay. So I come out, I'm all relieved, and my parents go, oh, by the way, we scheduled you for a piano audition too. Now here's your music that they didn't even tell me when we drove out there, because we drove out. Here's your music. We, you have about an hour to practice this. And then is your audition on piano. Oh I was God. never so angry in my life. Now I had stuff prepared because my piano teacher, because she had three seniors that year and she never had that many seniors, um, had us, was gonna have us do a senior recital, the three of us together on piano. One of the other seniors ended up the head of the music department at Stanford as pianist. So, <laughs> oh wow, yeah, yeah, pretty high power. So, so I had this stuff that I'd looked at, but certainly I hadn't thought I needed to do this. Okay, so I'm practicing and I'm just thinking how mad I am. I go into the audition, and all I am is mad. There was no thought of nerves or anything else. You know, it was like. Yeah. Play a four octave G flat major scale. Okay. <laughs> you know, I pop. Like fantasy impromptu by Chopin. Okay. All right. I'm, done. I'm out. <laughs> and I ended up getting in both plays. Right, right. <laughs> wow. So then <laughs> it, there's even more. So it's accepted okay. both ways. And of course, I never thought about majoring in piano. You know, I said, I'm going to major in cello. That's what I want to do. So we get out for freshman orientation um, and you know, they go over all the stuff. My parents are still there, you know, they go over all the stuff and all of a sudden then they say, are there any questions? My dad raises his hand and he says, my daughter was accepted on piano and cello. Which way will she make more money? <laughs> and the guy goes, she'll make more money playing the cello. My dad looks at me and says, okay, you can be a cello major. And that's the way. That's the story. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. And you didn't even have to pay off your cello. <laughs> right? No, no, I certainly didn't. Wow. Yeah. That's, so yeah. That's how I got in, out to Indiana. 
I can't imagine, yeah, like being told by my parents that, yeah, oh, you have to audition on this too. And then, yeah. Yeah, they were, they were intense. Yeah. I did have a brother. Uh, I did have a younger brother. So it sounds like I was an only child, but actually <laughs> we are born on the seven, the same day, seven years apart. Oh, oh really? Oh, wow. When he was born, I was at the Reading Symphony youth concert with a friend in, the, in his family. Mm. <laughs> on my wow. seventh birthday when my brother was born oh <laughs> that's so sweet so and in case ripley's believe it or not comes back i should also say that my father and his brother were born on the same day seven years apart oh <laughs> wow yeah that's wild that is really wild yeah <laughs> that yeah that is something huh so um Wow. <laughs> I know. I just like feel like I'm thinking about your parents throwing money at you to practice and then uh, <laughs> and then your piano teacher, like, you know, giving you all the the music and stuff. And and yeah. and and that the, that the school district was, you know, would give instruments out to, to play for that yeah. long. My piano teacher used yeah. to take us out for meals and she would like the crystal restaurant you probably never heard of it, it was like the big restaurant in reading and it wasn't cheap it's downtown no. reading and she'd rent a room and when we were in high school when she would have parties for the younger kids where there would be prizes and then when we were older she'd rent out a room in the crystal and we'd eat and then we'd go down there and everybody would have to play for, oh. for the others you know but, yeah yeah all this <laughs> that was amazing yeah i'm not i'm not telling my students this yeah so right. they don't expect me yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to put an r rating on this one so kids can yeah. <laughs> well, we can, we can yeah, do right. like a like a student edit you know and it's like i can just share that version with my students where where right. they don't realize that they could be asking for money for practice time and they won't yeah. <laughs> well yeah, it's a whole dollar a week you know yeah right <laughs> oh my gosh oh wow so um this so th throughout all of that time well and then okay so then you went to westchester you so did you get your you got your bachelor's in music ed did you do performance as well or no um basically at indiana if they thought you were good i applied as a music ed because that's what i wanted to do i'd always wanted to be a music teacher um and what they would do if they had some kids that they thought could do well, but weren't there yet, they'd accept them as music ed students. And then after a year or so, then they would allow the transfer to performance. Well, it turned out that at Indiana, when I was there, there were 60 cello majors. We had, there were six orchestras at IU mm. and 60 cello majors. That includes all the grad students. And I was the only one that wanted to be and stayed in music ed out of the 60. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Now there are other music ed students, but they weren't jealous. Mm -hmm. Right. So, huh. so, um, so you graduated from there and then did you, um, did you teach, uh, right away or did you, did you go to Westchester after that? Well, what happened? I had a, a, the social life at Indiana was also wonderful. I had a lot of friends and I decided 
that I really would like to stay out in Indiana. I really loved it all four years. So I went from job interview to job interview, you know, and I graduated with honors, but nobody hired me. So I came home and I was playing in the Reading Pops and <laughs> my friend was playing there too. And we were at a rehearsal and, you know, we were kind of commiserating. I said, I don't have a job yet. And my friend, Ann Cassano, who you maybe know at that point, she said to me, and she had just graduated from Ithaca. She said, well, I went to Norristown on an interview, but she said they didn't, they were looking for a string teacher. And I'm like, cause I had come home, this was July now. And I was working at my old summer job from last year in the surveyor's office. And I thought, boy, I'm never gonna teach what's going on. And I'm like, oh, I don't care. I'll get, I'll take anything at this point. So I called and I went down and I had, an interview, which really wasn't an interview, it was um, the head of the music department, I guess, and another guy in the music department. And all they did, they were very um, friendly and all they did was talk amongst themselves. And I kept going like this and I got hired. Yeah, they were so desperate. And then they said, you need to start next week because they had a summer program and they'd already been like two weeks down. Mm. Oh. So I said, great, I will, but I didn't know how to drive. <laughs> oh. So I took the train down to Norristown and then I'd walk 10 blocks to the school where the summer program was. Oh. And then they told me that in the fall I would be teaching. Um, they had just started the program the year before and had very few students involved that I would be teaching. So it was elementary at 12 schools in a week. And so wow. course, right after the summer program, it was like, let's get some driver education so um, I could go to 12 schools in a week. And that's when I learned to drive after college before my, yeah. I started in the fall in Norristown and I taught 12 schools and I found a program recently and of my spring concert, that first spring concert that year with the kids. And there were 105 kids at 12 schools that I taught that year. Oh my word. Mm -hmm. And then how long were you there? I was there for four years and um, just a little bit till Thanksgiving because my first son, he was due at Christmas time. So okay. I Thanksgiving, but for okay. a little bit extra. Okay. And then, okay. D did you take time off to have, to um, take care of Oh. Yes, definitely. I did not go back to Norristown. My husband got, he, at that point, he was a year younger than I was. So since I was in Norristown, he had gotten a job down there, but then he had gotten a new job at, in New Holland. <laughs> so we decided that we would move, but we decided to move on the Southwest end of Berks County because I had this baby and my parents lived where I live now. I live in the same house as my parents did. And it was babysitting. So we moved to Reading on the Southwest and the Wilson School District. So he could go to New Holland. Oh, okay. And so that's how I got back here. <laughs> mm -hmm. How much time did you take off? Um, like, before, like for raising your kids? Okay, so I was teaching at the Wine Missing Institute 
from right from when my son was born, when I still lived in, um, we lived in Royersford. He still lived in Royersford and I'd bring him up to my mom's and I'd teach at the Wymissing Institute privately. All that time I had done that. And then um, two more kids came along. And uh, so it was the summer and it was a Reading Pops concert. <laughs> uh, everything happens at the Reading Pops. <laughs> I'll tell you, for me, apparently it did. It's a Reading Pops concert. And at this point, my oldest is going to be in fourth grade and my next son in kindergarten and my daughters too. And Lois Miller, I don't know if you know that name. She was, she, she's a bass player and taught general music at Exeter. She said, did you ever think about going back to teaching Jan? She said, what, what we're gonna do is, cause she had been doing the three elementary teachers had been, one did band and general music. The other one did chorus in general music. There were three elementary schools in Exeter at the time. And then Lois did strings and general music. She said, what we're gonna do, we have more kids. So I'm just gonna be the general music teacher. And then you would do the strings throughout the district. And I thought, well, let me think about it. So I said, yes, and I got the job and I found babysitting for the kids. The lady across the street had a daughter six months older than my daughter. So she took care of her. and. Mm -hmm. that's how I started at Exeter yeah yeah it's like you know somehow you find a way sometimes it's like it's hard to see how that's going to work when you have like three yeah. kids and then if yeah. you're working full-time and yeah uh, yeah but that's great yeah and so um so during this time then were you also playing with the Reading Symphony at this time had you started that I mean you had been with them for 40 years yeah that happened right when I um the the fall after I graduated from Indiana and the way it worked back then the local people there were local people in the symphony and I know we did not get paid as much as the out-of-town players mostly at that point Philadelphia orchestra players coming up on a free weekend mm -hmm. and the local people would have a rehearsal first um, with the conductor at the time, Louis Viner. Mm -hmm. And then the next weekend is when the, the orchestra would get together. So the audition for me was, well, Wes Fisher, who was a great help all throughout, I must say, he was the, the musical father of all of us at that time. Um, Wes Fisher invited me to a rehearsal and then at some point during the rehearsal, he just, Louis Viner would just stop and have whoever was auditioning just play by themselves, you know, play through the music by themselves. So I did that and he said, okay. And I was in. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Now I know when Sid Rothstein came, we all had to go into his dressing room and play for him. Mm -hmm. And things changed a lot after that. But I'm, yeah, whenever there's a new conductor on board, uh -huh. yes. yes, things Definitely. do change. Yeah. yeah. And two, at that point, we weren't union. We were probably not union until sometime during Rothstein's tenure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We were ever union with Louis Viner. Yeah. 
And I, when we were talking to Kim Webster too, like she she talked about like not having to audition, like you know to um, to be in. It was just you were in, and and you know she and she mentioned Wes Fisher of course too because oh he, yeah he was amazing huge. yeah yeah when we were kids there was no youth orchestra, but there was the Reading Philharmonic Orchestra which was for adult well it still exists for adults who enjoy playing. And it was for kids too, the ones that really wanted to play. So I met a lot of other people besides the district regionals and all states, all state mm -hmm. festivals that I was at. I met a lot of other kids going to Reading Philharmonic and Wes conducted that. And yeah, that was my other orchestra experience in high school. Did you know there was another orchestra, youth orchestra in Reading before the Reading Symphony Youth Orchestra? No. Yeah, and a junior orchestra. Though it was, it was sponsored by the Wyoming Institute, oh. and the conductor of that youth orchestra was Andrew Yurkiewicz, which okay. was a Polish conductor. He conducted the Berks when we had Berks Opera. He was the conductor of the operas that we'd have. Okay, and um, he had at that point, you know, Poland was still behind the Iron Curtain, and he had come out, and oh, he was the greatest advocate of the United States and of America ever. And he was so happy, but he had conducted in many of the big cities and he did that orchestra. And then they had a junior orchestra, which I conducted at that time. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that was the first thing. It was the Lyme Missing Institute. And then I don't remember how that stopped. I remember at the time, my oldest was probably preschool. Um, I'm going to say it must have started sometime in the 90s. Okay. Yeah. I think. The, the, to check that out. The form, I, yeah. the form that it is now. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. You had moved to Mifflin then at some point there. Um, okay. So I was 11 years at Exeter. Okay. And um, I started in doing elementary, like I said, they had the three elementary schools. And then as we got more and more students, I moved to junior high and I was doing junior high, but there was never going to be an opportunity for me to move to senior high. They just, the band director at the time did the senior high orchestra as well. And I was ready <laughs> and I really wanted to teach high school and so when Priscilla Hilbert announced her retirement, I thought I'm going to apply for that job because it had, this one always had such a great reputation. In fact, yeah. when I was a kid, Bob Cooper, I don't know if you know that name, who was mm -hmm. like, uh, he was a, a really a great guy and really did everything for Mifflin to make them so wonderful. He had called me in high school to ninth grade actually if I could come and play the show, the cello for the show that they were doing so that was the first time I played a show and I played at Mifflin the shows while I was in high school so yeah I knew how wonderful it was then right and who were your your colleagues there I mean Skip Norcott was there correct mm -hmm. yeah when I started at Mifflin it was Skip and Paul Cassano was the band and Catherine Feldman did the chorus. Mm -hmm. Skip mostly at that point was doing elementary. Paul Cassano was doing the high school. Oh, oh okay. 
but I, you know, and I was hired to do, what's it, five to 12 at the point, and my job would fluctuate. I'd always do the secondary, but depending on numbers from, from sixth grade on down, sometimes I did third grade and seventh to 12th, sometimes I did fifth through 12th. Yeah. That's the other thing about being a music teacher that I have to mention. It's the best because you don't have to say goodbye at the end of the year. Mm. You only have to say goodbye when they graduate. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. Um, what is your favorite thing to teach? Is it is it mostly like, would it be the private teaching or like conducting um, like high school orchestra? Um, or is it is it general music? No. Everybody <laughs> loves general music. No, get rid of general okay. music. <laughs> I didn't think so, but <laughs> yeah. Luckily, I didn't have to teach too much general music. I did it a couple of times. Yeah. Like, if it, and this happened, I think this is my last year at Exeter. They decided to do a five-day rotation schedule at the elementary and a six-day at the junior high and high school. So I was teaching at the elementary and I was teaching at the high school. So I had to make a 30 day schedule. Oh my word. <laughs> no, I'll tell you, that's another thing about instrumental teachers. They are very good at scheduling mm -hmm. because nobody makes our schedule for us. Mm -hmm. We do it ourselves. So if you have trouble scheduling something, talk to a public school instrumental music teacher and they will help you out yeah. <laughs> but, it's, yeah. it's always for those specials too you know the regular classroom teachers don't necessarily have to deal with that but when you're going to multiple schools yeah yeah so you have to make that schedule and make sure it's okay and it's not interfering and it's all up to you when you're going to be there mm -hmm. yeah. so that's when I taught some general music on some days in that 30 school rotation I had um junior high general music mm -hmm. yeah but wow. yeah was not fun at Exeter the way they did it if you only took general music if you weren't in a performing group band orchestra or chorus so mm -hmm. yeah, not always the best students yeah <laughs> general music. they don't appreciate it quite the same yeah. <laughs> you had to take it I don't think anybody had had to take it in junior high or high school but we had to take it as elementary students every year and like I had started playing the piano in preschool and I started playing the flute in third grade and I, I hated general music. I mean, like it was like torture. So for a kid who loved music so much and my teacher wasn't bad. I mean, I don't remember the specifics of it, but I don't remember feeling like it was her. I just hated it. <laughs> so I think it's just a tough subject to teach. Yeah, I remember in elementary school one day the teacher made us just draw treble clefs on the board and she was very exacting like if you didn't cross the line and your line wasn't straight enough you had to do it over and over and it was one thing I thought I would never do this to kids right because right. the whole philosophy for me is I need to create an audience for classical music right yeah. you know and this is going to turn kids off forever if you do some of the some of the stuff that my teachers were doing. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. 
And that, that's interesting too, because the experience that you had in that, that district festival with him yelling at you. And I'm thinking like today, like, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't think that that would be happening or I don't hear of it. I mean, I don't know, <laughs> but no. it's a whole different culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, oh yeah yeah they're not allowed to anymore <laughs> you know yeah. professional orchestras we have unions mm -hmm. um yeah. yeah so that doesn't happen i i remember a man who sold insurance in reading who was a friend of my parents and who played horn in the chicago symphony under fritz reiner and his nerves were so shot he just gave up entirely mm -hmm. and came here and sold insurance to him that was much better that wow. been dealing with all the yelling it's yeah. interesting because i've t i mean um i was talking when i lived in madison i was talking to um bob cole who taught at the uw school of music and was their flute professor for a long time and he left the philadelphia orchestra at some point not because he didn't enjoy being in the orchestra but he said he couldn't imagine a whole lifetime of that type of pressure i mean and that was in like the 50s that he was playing in the orchestra yes. he yes. said i just he said you know it was a great job but it was also very difficult and and mm -hmm. at some point you have to like think about you know do you want to deal with those pressures for your whole life yeah yes yeah. and the way this man felt exactly yeah he just, he just felt much happier mm -hmm. and his yeah. son who played piano now um is an assistant well i don't know if he's retired yet but he's assistant conductor at chicago lyric so we ended up back in Chicago. Yeah, maybe with a slightly wow. different take on conducting, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. I but I think even when I was in college, I my orchestra directors were sort of of that old school. I mean, that certainly was how they were trained. Um, mm -hmm. and it was very much a you did not get compliments, you did not get um, you know, and it was sort of like them not yelling at you was a compliment. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. And I don't want to say yelling, but like if you didn't get the attention, you were doing great, you know. So, and mm -hmm. in some ways, I, I now in hindsight, I'm really grateful because it actually did prepare me to deal with a lot of personalities. But um, it's a very different way of dealing with was, people. It was tough. And the other thing I was going to mention about earlier was, you know, I talked a lot about Miss Hang, my piano teacher, but it seemed like I went through a lot of cello teachers. And every time I went to a new cello teacher, the first thing they would say was, we're going to start from the beginning. So I'd go back to the open string. So of course it happened when I went to college and I was three years down in college with my teacher, um, Leopold Tereszpolski, who was a student of Casals, Pablo Casals. Mm. And after my junior year, he left for another university. So I have one semester of school left with a recital because I have a semester of student teaching to do. Mm -hmm. So I ended up with Janos Starker. I don't know if you've ever heard that name, pretty famous cellist. And yeah, that was a tough semester. And of course the first lesson was let's start from the beginning. Never mind that this is September and you have a recital in December, <laughs> but okay. let's start over. <laughs> Oh, yeah. my word. I'm, I made it, but yeah. It but was... I bet you're really good at those open strings. Oh, boy. Of course, I vowed <laughs> I'd never do that to a student, ever, ever. Yeah, right. If I need to fix something, I'll fix, like, one thing at a time. They can do something wrong for a while, and I'll work on one aspect. Mm -hmm. 
right. with private students. It's a whole different ball game in school, but yeah. Yeah. Earlier, you mentioned we were you were talking about like having uh, the pressure and the anxiety, and um, like when you would perform with orchestras or like would you feel that would do, I mean do you get anxious yeah uh, definitely yeah. definitely I do yeah and, and how do you deal with that the only way for me personally to deal with it is to just be totally involved in the music and thinking about what I want to do with each note and with each phrase and blocking out everything else it works great if you can do it <laughs> but that's the hard part to be yeah. able to do that it really is yeah keeping the focus <laughs> yes yeah. i have to be focused on one thing you know and i think it's probably harder now because we all tend to be multitaskers you know and to just have that focus on one area mm -hmm. yeah yeah and it's not just like being prepared with the notes. It's like knowing what's happening in the structure of the piece and the phrasing and the the texture and the color of things you're like having the right. more oh, detailed, yeah. the more you're right. so right, you know, that the more detailed yeah. you can be, the easier it is mm -hmm. to help yourself mm -hmm. stay focused. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And not worry about the people who are listening or watching. Yes. You know, not the old thing. My mother used to say, pretend they're all in their underwear. Yeah. No, that doesn't help you at no. all. It's no. just distracting. No. That's <laughs> a distraction. It is not what you yeah. tell us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You also might get fired if you say that now. But, um, <laughs> yes. Now, now maybe right. not so much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my mind I, I will tell you the secret of nerves. Mm -hmm. So at Mifflin, I had this girl who, um, great violinist she ended up concert master of all state orchestra in 10th grade so her secret to playing was milk and bananas before you play mm. and that she felt calmed her down because now she plays in LA and she plays for all over the place she has a string quartet she plays with the mariachi band she's been up for grammys with her band and everything like that and yeah, so she's okay. doing really well. So it's that. Well, then I'm going to get some milk and bananas. Well, yeah. the banana thing, that's totally, you know, yeah. potassium. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, which yeah. I hate bananas. Everybody used to always say that. And I was like, but I, yeah. hate <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely hate them. It doesn't work. So, um, no, I think well then milk. <laughs> yes, right, milk. No. Uh, you were you were saying about you know picture picturing your mom would tell you to picture people in their underwear, but you know my mom used to always tell me to to picture it to visualize it, and as a kid that advice just drove me insane. It was like it's that easy, mom. You know, and no. you're a teenager, whatever. But I think in hindsight she was on to something with like visualization is really useful, but not you know the okay. way she was saying it to me, it was like I didn't want to yes. hear it. <laughs> it's like. Absolutely. No but now Absolutely. I'm thinking like, oh, yeah. mental practice, like visualization. There's all this research about how you feel like athletes like visualize themselves in the scenario and then how helpful it is to them. And I'm sort of like, oh, shoot, like she was right. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've actually used that too. Like one time I I said to my students, I was watching the Olympics, the Winter Olympics. And it was, I guess, a slalom. I don't know anything really <laughs> about skiing. And 
the competitors were waiting at the top of the slope and they were had their eyes closed and they're going mm -hmm. and they're visualizing the whole course ahead of time i said it's exactly the same thing that musicians have to do what those guys were doing at the olympics yeah visualizing yeah. the whole thing and how it's going to go and then concentrating on what you're doing at the time mm -hmm. i done like you've done like a ton of performing anyway and you started so early with performing um if you wasn't were... nervous then no that happened yeah oh really so I'll tell you, it, my whole life changed when i tried to win the the youth audition on piano and i didn't uh, that's when all the nerves happened right there really yeah yeah huh i really don't think i was nervous before that and then, so from 2011 to 2020, you were director of the Orchestra Zone program right. um, for Reading Symphony Orchestra. Um, so tell us about that and what that is about. Uh, I think it, it was awesome. Um, Peter Bry started it the year before I retired in 2009. And then when I retired, he called me and he said, would you teach? And I had never heard of it. So basically students who are identified were identified in fifth grade by their instrumental music teachers in Reading as talented and then a list would be created and these children would be um, invited to participate in the orchestra zone where they would get free private lessons at their closest middle school so we would go in after school and teach them privately and the symphony paid us to do it oh okay yeah so then after one year of teaching and and I loved it the kids were great it was so we could fit more kids in at this point it was 20 minute private lessons and it went from sixth to eighth grade and then it was over so after one year Peter said you know I have a youth orchestra and you know I would you like to be the director of orchestra zone? So I said, yes. And then I was the director of orchestra zone, but still taught. Peter didn't teach in the program. He basically was the director mm. of the program, but I still taught in it through 2020. Mm -hmm. And I would say during the time in orchestra zone, three of the kids were valedictorians at Reading High. And if you think that Reading High, the Reading High class size and the amount of students we were seeing it was a real drop in the bucket you know mm -hmm. um we one of the students that we had was the present mayor of reading's son was in our program he played i think it was clarinet um yeah and they would play for each other we would have a summer we called it a picnic but it really was in the reading high calf and it was just uh bring whatever food you want so we have a meal and then the kids would play for their parents and things like that at Reading High. We actually had two kids from the program that made it all the way to nationals, one in national band and one in national orchestra that I don't think would have ever had that opportunity being in Reading mm -hmm. if it weren't for Orchestra Zone. But yeah, so it's basically like an outreach program to the community. Yes, uh, yes, ah, it was amazing. It really yeah. was, of course it kind of came to a screeching halt when the pandemic happened. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. And now they're trying to start it up again, but you know, yeah. Polly's going to go through some growing pains right now, but mm -hmm. it's wonderful. Yeah. 
Well, that's great. And, and, you, and how much it enriched me by teaching those kids. Mm -hmm. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And you would do like group lessons, I imagine. No, private. Oh, was it? Sorry. That was a big, important thing. 20 minute private lessons because they put group lessons at school and we wanted to do private lessons to focus on each of them individually. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. So it was more what everybody, uh, other people in the county were getting. And then you could see like in county orchestra and in district orchestra, all of a sudden there were Reading High kids where there haven't been before. And that was great. Youth orchestra. And that was Peter's, I think, original thing that he was hoping to have. It was called the Reading Symphony Youth Orchestra, but there were no kids from Reading in it. <laughs> so he was working on that, but it had implications yeah. and much further than that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That's great. And so, and then you were also then assistant conductor of the, of the Reading Symphony Youth Orchestra. That's pretty funny. All that meant was when Peter couldn't make rehearsal, I would conduct. That's all oh. I meant. <laughs> when my daughter went to college, she was the last one. I guess I had a little empty nest problem because then I did teach the chamber orchestra at Albright for four years. I did that. Oh, okay. I did teach at Albright College for four years. Yeah. While she was in college, I was in college too. <laughs> well, and you knew Peter um well through all of that but then also you played uh with him in the section right at in Reading oh, Center yes, yes as well and so my rule with my my own personal children was they all had to play an instrument they could pick whatever instrument they wanted to play but once they'd chosen they would play that until they graduated from high school they did not have to make it the love of their life or their career, but they would play it till they graduated because I really wanted to stress, you know, stick to itiveness and mm -hmm. staying with things. And all three were very good with that. My daughter loved it. The boys did what I told them to do. <laughs> and my daughter was a cellist. Okay. So, of course, it started with me teaching her. Mm -hmm. And I think I am very patient with my school students, but it would always end up with one of them, one of us yelling or crying and stomping out of the room. Ooh. So at that point, then she went to Peter Bry. So okay. okay. More stomping and crying. Yes. <laughs> it's hard to teach your own children. Oh and my gosh. It's like the patience <laughs> level just like deflates completely. Like yes. it's, it's yes. crazy how that happens. He was my musician. <laughs> Yeah. Aw. Well, that's great. And it's great to have such a good relationship with a colleague like that. To, and then oh, yeah. teach your child. Oh, yeah. 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 And he did he did a wonderful job with Jessica. Yeah. He's just he is really a wonderful person. And I don't know. I don't know. He's he's great. I can't say enough good things about him. Yeah. What do you if you have any advice for um, any students? Uh, who are pursuing a career in music, um, whether it's performing or education, like, would you have any advice for? Well, here's the thing. In all my years of teaching, I don't think I have ever told a student, you need to go into music. Because mm -hmm. I believe it's not a choice, it's a calling. It's just like the ministry. Because 
you have to want it that badly to do it. And if there are other things that you can do, you know, and enjoy music as a hobby or whatever, that's wonderful. Or, and go to concerts again. Like, remember I said, my whole thing was I want to build audiences. I was not wanting to build more players, but so I would never tell one to go into music. And yeah. Now, if they asked and they wanted to, I was happy to help them. And certainly I had quite a few that did, you know. Yeah. But yeah, it's, you can't just try and convince somebody. <laughs> to... No, no, no. I never suggested it either. Because if they didn't come up with it on their own. Mm -hmm. you right, know. right. And, and what has teaching taught you? Like, um, I mean, you're still, you're still teaching lessons in your retirement. So you, you obviously love teaching. Um, yeah, I, I, I do, you know, it, I really think I do because for me, it's, especially with private teaching, how do I get the student to do what I want them to do? And how many ways can I try to get the desired result? So I'm always trying to get in their brain and figure out what they're thinking and how I can get across my concepts and have it match with what they're thinking in their brain. And a lot of times I'll say at lessons, read my mind. What am I thinking now? And just last week I had a kid and I was thinking about what she was doing. And I thought, oh, she really should be doing that. And this happens often. And when I thought that, then she started doing what I thought about in my brain, you know, to put, move the bow down or, you know, whatever, whatever thing it is, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's crazy that way. It really mm -hmm. is. Yeah. So I do enjoy that. And I do, I do enjoy my students. They, they are really a great group of people and always have been. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even you know, at, at the beginning, we were talking about like how many um, former students you have who are now uh, teachers. And um, yeah, and like you were saying earlier, how you're so proud of them. And mm -hmm. that's just, a, and that is certainly a testament uh, to you as well. I mean, well, the second private student that I had ever in my teaching career, um, she ended up doing her undergraduate at Curtis and her graduate studies at Juilliard and after that it's like it's all downhill but right, it, really, right. <laughs> it really wasn't because I've had so many after after her that have done so yeah. well yeah 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 well, so it, it it was it's really great since retiring um I know you have traveled a lot and and probably before that I imagine we're traveling as well <laughs> So what is your, uh, your most favorite destination? I knew you were going to ask that. And I hate the question because it's always <laughs> the one that I talk about or think about last that's my favorite. But yeah, I've been a lot of places. I've been to 49 of the 50 states. Wow. Um, I don't know. I'm sorry if people are really like North Dakota, but that's the one I didn't go to. And I don't know if I have a reason to go to North Dakota. <laughs> Haven't been I've, there. Well, I've never been there, so I have yeah, no idea. 
and I've been to all the continents except Antarctica, mm. China, been to China, been to Russia, been to Australia, been to many places in Europe, been to South America, went on a cruise around the tip of South America, which was awesome too. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah. Right. So wherever you want to go, if you, if you want to travel advice <laughs> on here. <laughs> you could be, a, you could probably be a travel agent also. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those are kind of that's a dying profession right with the internet <laughs> yeah well that is true yeah well you know it can be a side thing for you <laughs> here we go i need a side thing Ugh. yeah you need something <laughs> else to do <laughs> well jan thank you so much thanks for talking with us today oh thank you for having me i really appreciate it yeah. i'm passionate about my subject that's for sure yeah yeah you are absolutely and it, what a privilege to get to talk to you about your career and your life and thank you to our listeners uh we are so glad that you're out there supporting us um, if you ever have the chance please give us feedback we'd love to hear from our listeners especially if you have any questions or suggestions as to who you might enjoy an interview of or if you would like to sponsor any of our episodes um, we have lots of musicians, students of musicians, and families of musicians listening in. So please contact us at lifebetweenthenotes at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and video versions can be found on our Life Between the Notes YouTube channel. Follow us at all of these places and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And with that, have a great day. And thank you, Morgan. And thank you, Jan. Thank you. Now we have to do the wave. You have to wait <laughs> at the Muppet Show.